couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Hey, welcome back to Wheel of Randy, the number one Randy Newman podcast in the world. Whether you're a Randy super fan, are new to his work, or just know the hits, we hope this is a place where you can come and learn a little bit more about the man himself. My name's Dan Wade, and I'm your host. Wheel of Randy is a part of the Good Trash Media Podcast Network. And is brought to you by Wade Engineering. Wade, that's my last name. That's weird. Let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy. We've got Becky Warren with us today on the wheel, folks. Hi, Becky. Hi, I'm glad to be here. My wife is so jealous. She said, you're <laughs> Becky Warren without me. Uh, <laughs> he and I saw you uh, in Tulsa. When you opened for Indigo Girls. Yeah, that was a fun show. It was a great show. And I, I've i never seen a, gr- a better relationship between an audience and an opening act. They oh. loved you. Yes, people were very nice at that show. I think partly it was because I was asking for recommendations of what to see around Tulsa. And everyone was so friendly. They were so excited to give me ideas so that was really fun for me too very nice audience in Tulsa you know my my wife and I have have been rabid indigo girls fans since you know probably 89 90 yeah as everyone should be uh Nomads Indian Saints was one of the yeah was one of the albums that I bought for a penny from the Columbia House Club (laughs) wow and uh, I got my pennies worth on that yeah I'll say uh, but I, I really, really like your style, and I like the songs that, that, that I've heard. You, you've got two albums out now, and a third one coming up pretty soon. That's right. Um, yep. And I love how, how your albums have a, a theme. Um, Thanks. Check, check my notes here. Um, guys, if you don't know Becky, you, you've got to check out War Surplus. This this is such an ambitious. Would you call it a concept album? I would call it a concept album. Yes. It, it is. It is a. It is a, a coherent story uh, about uh, a guy that's shipped off to Iraq and 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 dealing with the relationship. Uh, you know, both before and then coming home. Um, and it, it, I've listened to it over and over again. Oh, I, thank you. Got to ask, Becky, are you a veteran? I am not, but the story on the... could us. <laughs> well, the story on the album um, has a lot of similarities with my own story. So actually, really shortly after I first met the Indigo Girls... Um, in early 2005, I got married to a soldier who went to Iraq and came home um, and uh, and had PTSD, and we ended up splitting up um, several years later. So, um, which is very similar to the story on the album. Um, so, that's partly how I got into 
knowing those sorts of things. But I also did a lot of reading um, of, of, of veteran novelists and poets um, and other kinds of artists when I was writing that album. Um, so yeah, I was I was really committed to trying to represent the the Iraq veteran experience in a way that felt real to people. And it really does feel real. I think when a lot of people try to write something like this, they fall into a couple of mistakes. Uh, they either um, you know treat it way too seriously and oh this is such a sad thing, or or they they go kind of hyper patriotic on it. I, got a, a friend who says, if one more person thanks me for my service, I'm just going to go mad. Yeah, yeah, or you get those, like, military um, drum rolls. I always hate when those come out in the song. It's, like, always a mistake. Um, yeah, I was definitely, I knew I, I wanted to avoid those things, so I'm glad you feel that I did. That was important to me. Uh, the, 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 that song uh, seemed like a good idea at the time. Always gets a laugh. Yeah, that's good. I yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted the album to be funny in places. The main character, Scott, the veteran, he's kind of, he deals with his uh, various demons through humor a lot. So I, you know, I hope the album is funny in places, even though it's a difficult subject. And then your second album revolves around the homeless community? Yeah, so it's called Undesirable, and um, there's a street paper here in Nashville, which is a, where I live, which is a, a paper that's sold by vendors who are either um, experiencing homelessness now or have in the past, and it's what they call a micro-business, so it's a nonprofit that creates the paper, and then these vendors go through a training, and then they buy the paper from the nonprofit and they resell it um, anywhere in town. Um, and I just sort of went around town and when I would spot someone selling the paper, I would pull over and ask if I could hang out with them for a while and talk while they sold the paper. And then all the songs on the album are sort of based on um, the stories of various vendors. So like War Surplus had one long story about these two characters. Um, but undesirable, each song is kind of its own little vignette of a different vendor of this paper. Um, so that was, you know, a concept album in kind of a different way. But I do, I like doing that sort of tackling one subject. Well, you've definitely got the gift of empathy. You know, ju just, oh, thank just, you. Like, just like PTSD, it would be easy for someone to write about the homeless as if it's this amorphous thing. Uh, but uh, you're dealing with people. And... and <laughs> That, that, that really uh, shines. Out. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate I, that. I love that, that one uh, line. What it was, you don't have to tell us we know we're in a real tight spot. Yeah. Yeah, and um, we're all we got, which kind of ended up being sort of the anthem slash rallying cry for the record. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I think there, a lot of times, you know, I've, I've I've done a lot of, you know, for the lack of better word, church mission through the years, and a lot of times there's a lot of there's a lot of condescension and a lot of people who think it's their job to let people know that they're in hard times. It's like we know that, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, or to kind of judge people's choices in a way that you wouldn't judge other people's choices, like um, you know. 
I, one woman, actually the first woman I ever interviewed, she sort of apologized to me for smoking. So I could tell she'd oh. probably gotten that a lot for smoking, and I thought, well, I don't judge other people's decision to smoke. So, um, But yeah, it is interesting how people tend to um, put others, others in a box and then sort of feel more entitled to judge their choices. I, I tried very hard not to do that. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if the, the, the conversation around the homeless community will mature uh, as you know, as evictions are, are surging here, here locally. Um, yeah, tragically, it may it may be. Um, certainly yeah. more people are going to be feeling those pressures. The, the one stat I saw is that we, we are now at a, a, a peak of uh, 20 and 30-year-olds living with their parents is now at its highest point. Yeah, I can definitely believe that. Yeah, the, 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 there's... You know, the thought crosses your mind from time to time. Yeah. Uh, how's, how's quarantine treating you? Are you, you keeping safe? You trying to, uh, how, how are you keeping busy <laughs> when you can't be on the road? Yeah, I've actually been good. It's sort of funny, the album that I have coming out in October, it's called The Sixth Season, and most of the songs are about a sort of 18-month period I went through, um, starting around the time I finished recording Undesirable, my, that second album where um, I had depression, which I've always struggled with, but I had this long period of treatment-resistant depression, um, where just suddenly the, the things that my doctor had been helping me with weren't working anymore. And um, I dealt with that a lot by just staying home and never leaving my house. <laughs> so no. I, I wrote songs about it, most of which are about being stuck inside. Um, and I started to feel better in December last year. And I'm doing fine now, but it's just weird to, again, be stuck in my house um, and with all these songs that are about being stuck in my house. But, uh, and I feel a bit guilty that this time I actually feel much better than I did last time when I know it's such a more horrific time for a lot of people. But um, I'm feeling... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm feeling grateful to, uh, to be in a much happier place. And, um, yes, I feel very fortunate that medication is working for me right now and I'm happy and um I uh yeah and I'm used to it so so I feel I feel like um I'm strangely one of the people that maybe is living slightly better in quarantine than I did before by accident very good um let me ask where are you from originally I grew up mostly in Atlanta Georgia um my family moved to Charlotte North Carolina when I was in high school but most of my childhood was in Atlanta correct that, uh, that 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 tracks. You know, I, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. Oh, okay. Yeah, not, not too far. Right. You know, Six Flags was a day trip. So. Yep. <laughs> uh, but you know, now now that I've I, I've moved away, I, there, there there's kind of this this special bond of of, of expatriates from from the deep south. And yeah. I think that's kind of one of the reasons why, why Indigo Girls has had such such an appeal is that they uh, sang kindly about the South. Yeah, about that's a really good point. That's another thing that's hard sometimes to do, but you're right. They did that um, with a lot of sort of sensitivity and empathy towards the complexities of being a Southerner, especially a Southerner who doesn't sort of fit all the Southern stereotypes. Um, yeah, they do that really well. So when does the next album come out? October 23rd. 
October 20th. That'll be here before we know it. That's I know. And the 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 two uh, the two current albums, um, you know, full disclosure. I'm listening on Spotify. There's got to be okay. more no, artist friendly okay. way for me to do that. How would you recommend people uh, people get to know it? You mean I am happy. However, anyone wants to listen to me legally, so Spotify is fine. <laughs> okay. Um, it, you know my. My fans, Randy fans, you're gonna like this, uh, Becky. I, I hate to, I hate to compare artists, because I, I I know you're you're definitely your own person. But but folks, if if you like Lucinda Williams, you're really gonna dig Becky. Let's put it that way. Oh, I don't mind that comparison at all. I love Lucinda, so thank you. Um, so let's talk a little, Randy. Um, let's do it. First of all, you know how how long have you, you know, listened to him, and and what were what were some of the the, the songs that first stuck with with you when, when you when you got into him? Well, I really have to credit my longtime guitar player Avril Smith. Um, she played guitar on this latest record of mine, but also I used to have a band called the Great Unknowns, and Avril was the guitar player in that band. We've been friends for a long time, and she's a huge Randy Newman fan, and so I of course knew who he was and, you know, knew sort of his hit songs, uh, cool. if you can call them that. But um, it was really getting to know Avril, and I guess we probably met in, I don't know, it's been a long time, 2003 or 2004. And I remember being at her house, and um, she was always playing guitar and singing things, and um, just sometimes she would play these songs, and I would say, who is that? And it was always Randy Newman. I know even when um, she has a daughter, and when her daughter was born, I remember she always used to sing her Jolly Coppers on Parade. So that that was one that I learned um, early from Avril, and um, she was just always sending me Randy Newman songs. So definitely to her credit um, that I dug more into him. Very good. So what song have you brought for us to talk about today? Well, I've kind of brought uh, the whole Faust project, but with um, Glory Train, the first song, as a proxy. Yeah, yeah. Um, for a long, long time, I was the only person I knew who was into Faust. Yeah, you said when I picked it that it was hard to get people to talk about it, and I was really surprised. Can you say anything else about that? What, well, what, are, um, what reactions do you get? Well, the the reaction first of all, it, it, it's you know, pe people think that that it's going to be very brainy. Mm. Um, you know, I, I had to read uh, Marlowe's Faust in high school, and I hate. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, and and it's kind of heavy, heavy material. You know, God and the devil doing you know their their yeah. proxy battle. It's not. It's not the most accessible thing in the, in the world. Uh, but I introduced it to my niece because my niece is, is, uh, is, you know, throwing her hat in, in the ring on, on, on Broadway and basically saying, you know, listen to this because this is what musicals could have been mm -hmm. if the universe had, had, had turned in, 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 in a quirky way. <laughs> Um, let's take a, a quick pause for my audience. Uh, take a couple minutes to listen to Glory Train. There's a, a link on our Twitter account. Um, li listen to Glory Train. You know, listen to all of Faust. You'll love it. Um, but once you listen to Glory Train, you know you can unpause us and, and know a little more what we're talking about.
Countdown races sing this song. Do da do da. Okay, so get give give a, just a, a quick plot summary of what's going on in, in Glory Train as you understand it. First of all, have you ever seen Faust? No, I have never seen it. And when I knew that we were going to be talking, I tried to find some of it on YouTube, but all you can see are sort of short little bits. I couldn't find anything longer. Have you ever seen it? I haven't. Uh, a, a, a previous guest had tickets to see it in L.A. this summer. Oh, wow. Oh, so it's canceled. Delayed by COVID, so oh. one of these days. It's crushing. Um, but but the, the, the cast of characters we have here, we have God, the devil, and uh, a, a series of angels. And uh, the on the album, the, the casting on this, I think is just perfect. Yeah, me too. I think James Taylor as um, as God is really... Yeah, it's perfect in so many ways. It really is. It's sort of like I heard someone say, you know, the good reason to cast Tom Hanks is because you know exactly who he is when he walks into the screen. And, I mean, it's almost the same for James Taylor, except that, of course, the genius of Randy Newman is to take what you think you know about James Taylor slash God and, and twist it over the course of the show. But, um, but yeah, it's very inspired casting. And and we we begin with with, with the very act of creation, uh, with with this uh, this the earth being created and, and God saying, I, I I I see where this is going, uh, and just everyone glorying in the creation. Uh, and you know the first half of this song. You could sneak into a, a gospel radio stage. Yeah, it sounds very um, positive. I heard um, you, what was it that you spun last week? I listened to last, oh, it might not be last week's episode by the time you get this, but uh, the last one I heard, you spun, what was the song? See, we did, he gives us all his love. Yes, so that's another one. Right, so maybe the two instances in which it feels like Randy Newman is potentially being very sincere about God, the beginning of this song and that song. Um, it does feel um, like a praise song or a gospel song almost. I mean, as you go back and listen to it again, once you hear the whole story, um, you can maybe find some places where all is not quite what it seems. Um, but yes, I agree. You could cut that part out and stick it on gospel radio and probably nobody would complain. And then Randy butts in. <laughs> right. And he, uh, I, uh, I don't know where, I don't know if it was in the liner notes or if I got the book at one point, but, but he says uh, at, at this point, the, the devil comes in and makes a mistake, as people do at parties from time to time. I've that somewhere, too. I don't remember where it was, either. Uh, and, but he, he, he basically uh, immediately toys with our emotions. Right. Um, again, he's perfectly cast himself. Um, his voice and his whole sort of sardonic attitude, perfect for the devil here. Um, and immediately calls bullshit on everything that's the the sort of <laughs> what you thought was sincere before yeah. that. And he's um, not not just not just calling bullshit on God, but on the audience. Right. 
Right, that, and that interestingly... we've gotten caught up in this glory. Right, and that he and God, who are the main characters, are only figments of the imagination of the audience, so to make it a bit meta, <laughs> they don't even exist. What, um, what, what, what's uh, the invention of an animal who knows he's going to die? Right. That's just... It's harsh, but it, it's poignant. Yeah, it is poignant. And so he, uh, he, he basically sets the stage at this point that, uh, that the audience needs to, to take everything that's going on here with a grain of salt. Right. And of course, over the, over the course of the rest of the show, whereas in this song, God and the devil are very separate. I mean, it's even that their parts are two completely different keys. They're two completely different instrumentation. They feel like separate songs with the devils interrupting gods. But over the course of the whole show, they be, are less and less distinguishable from each other. Yeah. Um, but this is the moment when you don't quite know that yet. I guess you, you really start to see some cracks in God uh, during How Great Our Lord. Right, which is the other song I almost picked. Um, and that one even, like if you could imagine Randy Newman singing that one instead of James Taylor, because it's very um, minor key and, you know, wry. Um, if someone just put it in front of you, you might not know whether it was the devil or God yeah. that was singing that one. And uh, you know, God is starting to feel a little insecure. Yeah. Um, this The whole album, but especially this song and kind of the conversation or of Glory Train, I mean, the conversation between God and the devil, it reminds me so much of just, um, you know, I don't know if, Randy Newman would say it came from growing up Jewish, but I also grew up Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes me think of sort of, I mean, it's turned up, but in, um, in Judaism, when we have religious holidays, we're encouraged to sort of discuss what's going on here and why did this happen? And, um, you know, we're encouraged to ask questions. And it feels almost like a turned up version of that to me. I don't know if you would agree with that, but... Um, like, I know there's a part at, at Passover, which is a major Jewish holiday that uh, commemorates the, you know, the whole Exodus story and the Jews being slaves and then leaving Egypt. Um, and there's a moment where um, Pharaoh, who's been keeping the Jews as slaves, wants to set them free. But it says, um, so he's about to set them free, and instead God hardens his heart and makes him tell the Jews, no, you can't leave. And that's why all of the, the trauma, there's plagues and death of the Egyptian firstborn and the Red Sea that swallows up the whole Egyptian army. I mean, all of that follows from this moment when Pharaoh might have said, okay, fine, go, but instead God makes him change his heart. And I always thought that was just horrible, and why would God do something like that? Um, that, that shook me. Yeah. Uh, eight or nine, I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that's the kind of tension that's in this show. And it's like the audience is being asked to kind of be involved in the debate about what all this means. And um, I like that about this show a lot. It's not often that, that you have a, a show that, that, that portrays God in this way. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, e either, you know, the, 
you know, God, God is held up as, as a perfection or, or uh, God is, is vilified. Um, and, and in here, it, it seems there's more nuance. Yeah. I mean, it does, it digs into a lot of the sort of fundamental questions that I don't think anyone can really answer. Like, you know, if God is so all-powerful, how could there be this devil that he can't control? That doesn't make any sense. And, um, you know, the sort of why do bad things happen to good people questions, all those kinds of things that people wrestle with are all in this, I mean, they're all in this song, but they're definitely all in this show as well. And you don't see those, um, you don't see those addressed much in pop culture. You really need a brave songwriter to say, this is what we're going to be talking about in this this record, or in this case, in this entire... Yeah. It's certainly not what you write about if you want to be a commercially successful songwriter. You know, you t- stay away from God and politics. And yeah. um, But Randy Newman has never been that kind of songwriter. I think there's, there's a luxury of, of uh, financial independence there. Definitely, yeah. He, he could have just kind of relied on his uncle's money and if he'd never made it, you know, commercially, you know, he, he could still still write what he wanted there. Yeah. But um, then he did. He's been so successful as a songwriter. As a, as a songwriting artist, he can kind of do what he wants. Why do you think this show never took off? You know, from, from, from what I heard, it, it had a limited run in L.A. and then just kind of collapsed well i'll say that there is a history of songwriters not always being the greatest at staging musicals um i mean i'm also thinking of paul simon who i who i love as a songwriter as well in his musical which i did see in person i think i'm one of like 80 people that saw that because it was open and then it closed um but his closed you know very quickly too i think it's just, it's hard to translate the vision of a songwriter into a stage production. I mean, sometimes it works, like um, Carol King has quite a successful musical, I think, and um, there are some other people who have managed it, but um, I think there's a difference between sitting down and writing really thoughtful characters in song and then translating that into a medium that's also visual. Um, and yeah. three-dimensional. I think part of it also is that when someone writes a difficult song, you know, like, like a Randy song, it helps to listen to it alone and then to go yeah. back and listen again and, and kind of wrestle with it yourself. That's hard to do in a communal setting. Yeah, and this, I mean, the subject matter here, as we've said, it definitely takes some thought and some digestion. So I could, I can imagine that's a factor as well. What do you think of of, of the devil character here? Um, he, I, he, he has some charm and he has a, a lot of flaws, uh, and you know, I, I I go through this record going, who, who am I rooting for? I mean, yeah. Linda Ronstadt, obviously. Yeah. But everyone else. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and there's sort of that moment in the story where the devil falls in love with the character played by Bonnie Raitt and then has his heart broken, which is sort of an aside and really... Just back to back, not even a song in between. I know, (laughs) yeah, it just happens really fast. 
Yeah. I don't I mean, it's hard as a Randy Newman fan not to cheer a little bit for Randy Newman, but certainly, I mean, he's doing some terrible things in the story as well. But then God is doing terrible things too. So I don't think you can really cheer for anyone. Yeah. I, I know we're jumping around the, the show a lot, but, but uh, I think that my favorite number is uh, relax, enjoy yourself. Mm. Where, where God is, is, you know, basically having a meltdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Randy has this, this uh, brutal conversation with the character I call the littlest angel. Yeah. <laughs> who, who's trying to, to, to see the good in the devil and try to help him through that. And he just destroys her faith. Yeah. Um, and in a faith where she is in the presence of God. Right. And it's so, um, I mean, he sort of spins this story about the person who killed you is not going to face any repercussions. And beyond that, he's going to prosper and become very successful and be rewarded. And then he's going to be in, come to heaven too. And it's so... I mean, it's like a gut punch, but it also feels very true because we do see that happen to horrible, evil people all the time. Um, uh, my uh, back in my live journal days, uh, my my handle was the richest man in in Yo County, and yeah. absolutely no one ever got. That. <laughs> um, and you know, personally, you know, I'm I'm from a, a denomination that 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 rejects predestination. Mm-hmm. So it it, it 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 warms my little anti-Calvinist heart that <laughs> that the, the, the predestination is is torn apart as as badly as it is in this song. But that's just that's just my personal little jab there. Yeah, it's the point well, for my team for one. Right. Well, he kind of tears apart everything of every. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, everyone's in for it at some point in this show. And then uh, you you mentioned Bonnie Raitt's character. Uh, who uh, is, is the most powerful of all, really. Yeah. That, that she's so confident and she, you know, it holds this power over a supernatural being. Right. That she kind of, and then she just kind of leaves him without thought, at least as far as we see. She's not, she's not at all tortured by this relationship that she had. No, it's almost like, yeah, she just got bored. Yeah. And then uh, the, 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 the story arc with, with Linda Ronstadt's character, I can't remember her character's name. I just call her Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. I don't remember her name either. Um, you know, that, that we see her before and after uh, Randy sends Cupid after her. Right. And, and God complains, you're mixing mythologies here. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> Yeah. But we have this very savvy, confident young woman who's you know, saying, I'm not going to let you know, some fool you know, get me in a relationship if, if it's not exactly what I want. And then, then she, against her will, you know, falls, for, falls for Faust. And then, uh, help me with the plot here. Does she have a stillborn? No, I think she kills her baby. She kills her. Horrible baby. to say, yeah. And and then then sings 
you know, Sandman's coming. Yeah. It's just, just heart-wrenching. It's very heart-wrenching. Um, and interesting that that's the first time either of us has actually mentioned Faust. I mean, he's he's in there, but he's not the most interesting character really in any way. Which yeah. it makes casting Don Henley as it kind of perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. I don't have to pretend to have any any. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's he's really he, he's just a pawn in this. In this yeah, movie. sort of empty-headed, vapid guy. It, it, it's not the first Randy record that you give to somebody. When you're like, no, I guess not. Um, but I hope this episode brings out other people that uh, also enjoy Faust. I do think it's really interesting, and I you know I'm. Well, you can tell because I write concept albums. I'm very interested in sort of records that do a story all the way through or, or you know, deal with consistent characters or consistent themes. And so I I really think it's one of his – one of an, an album of his that I really enjoy listening to quite a lot. So, yeah, happy to talk about it. Let's talk a little bit about you know, the arrangement itself because he did this, what, mid-'90s, late-'90s? Yeah, I don't know when he was writing it, but I think it came out in the late 90s. So he had a few soundtracks under his belt, but yeah. not talking, you know, cranking a, a Pixar out year after year here. Right. Um, but but you're, you're really starting to see some, some orchestral depths here. And yeah. With Randy. Yeah. Um, and just the, I mean, not only the ambition of the sort of telling this story, but yeah, bringing in all these stars to sing on it and these huge orchestral arrangements and the gospel choir and I mean it's very ambitious sonically as well as thematically. Oh we didn't even talk about Elton John showing up. <laughs> yeah we did. Who can forget Elton John? There's so much going on. I know. I personally I love the flute work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like they're 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 several places where he's got two or three flutes going at the same time and it's just I, I'm not a, a musician uh, but, but but I know what I like and it, it's very very effective. Do you know if he also scored it? I don't really know much just about how he does the arrangements. Okay yeah I don't know how he works how, you know if he arranges all of the elements on all I mean almost all of his albums have the big arrangements i don't know i i, I know he worked uh, real close with van dyke parks on some yeah stuff um, i know that because pet sounds is one of my favorite albums and van dyke parks is in, involved there too of course yep uh, so i'm not sure how much of this is, is on his own or not I, I i'm always scared that there will be randy super fans yeah. On this podcast and are just screaming at me the entire time. I know. Episode. Well, I'm sure they're screaming at me too. I did listen to, um, on Spotify, there's a version of, of Faust that has demos as like a second, what I guess would be a CD if it was not on Spotify. Oh. And I listened to some of those. So they're mostly, um, you know, they're more stripped back. But they do have, like there's a choir or various voices on some of them. That was really interesting to kind of... Um, imagine how he worked out the arrangements and the songs and um for instance uh glory train is just called pass on over and it's only the pass on over part it's not the other parts of the song so um 
I don't know. I'm I'm just always fascinated by songwriters' processes. So any insight I can get into that, I always take. I thought it was really interesting to listen to those. Have you listened to his, his last record? It starts with the song "The Great Debate." I have not. The Great Debate is like it, it, we talked about it last week on on the show, uh, but it's about a ten minute version of. All right, you wouldn't listen to Faust. Maybe you'll listen to. <laughs> Uh, and and he, he even you know recycles the, the tune from Glory Train. Mm. Or that it, it, it's, it's a good tune. I would recycle yeah. it too if I had written it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, 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 if all you and I do today, Becky, is get a couple people to to listen to Faust, I'm I'm a happy man. <laughs> I'm so glad that that you brought it up. I feel like I'm painting myself in a corner because I've already talked about my favorite song. And yeah. Like, oh, my favorite songs, actually. Um, I, I just, I really, really like that number that, that Elton John does. It's yeah. The, basically the, the patron saint of England. Right. Little Island, right? That's yeah. yeah. And, and in fact, uh, in some, it, I heard that that song actually got cut from some productions. Because hmm. it really doesn't have. Because it's not really relevant. Yeah. But but he talks about you know these two generations of boys that died on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Then he says only the best were lost. Yeah. It's like, oh, not only do you have the the tragedy of, of of human death, but you have you have a country weakened. Yeah. Like that. That was. Hmm. That one always gets me. Yeah. Oh, Faust, five stars, people. Yeah, listen to it. Well, you want to spin the wheel with me, Becky? Let's, let's do it. All right. I'm a nervous. Oh. Wheel has <laughs> been actually pretty kind to people lately. Uh, folks, if you want to play the home game, you can go to, to uh, Twitter, Wheel of Randy. And our pinned tweet includes a link to the wheel. And I'm having trouble pulling it up. But I'm sure that you people will have a very easy time to do it. All right. Let me share my screen. And here we go. Can you see that? Now I can, yes. All right. It's, it's time exciting. to spin the wheel. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Stop. New Orleans wins the war. Becky, do you know this one? No. This is Dan in the editing booth. Just a little content warning. New Orleans wins the war has a couple of very outdated references to minorities. Uh, one is, begins with the letter C. One begins with the letter O. And if you're not from the South, you probably don't know what that one with the letter O is, but it's one that I heard growing up. Anyway, buyer beware. All right, this is off his album Land of Dreams. Okay. Land of Dreams was the first time he tried to do a concept album. Mm, I love he it already. He an album about his childhood in New Orleans. And about three tracks in, he gives up. We <laughs> have those three tracks. Um, so folks, get, get Land of Dreams and listen to uh, track number two. This is New Orleans Wins the War, and we will be back in just a few minutes.
Bet my money on a bob town rag all the yeah. dude all day. All right. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This Sometimes I think this joke is just a long setup to one punchline. <laughs> but, uh, all right, what, 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 what do you think of New Orleans Wins the War? Well, I thought... Um... It's really interesting to me, especially knowing, like you said, that he had planned it as a concept album, that he took this, what I would, as, like, in a songwritery way, is quite a huge story. I mean, this covers, like, many years and many big things that happened, mm -hmm. and he stuffed them all in this one song, um, especially when I think of him as a writer who is so expert at... Um, taking a small moment and really making it profound. So I'm yeah. I'm very interested with the sort of scope of of events in this one. There's there there there's parts of this that, that evoke my childhood in the South here. Um, you know, I remember like like all good Southerners, I was required to read Faulkner in mm. high school, in the middle of Absalom, Absalom, and I go to my mom and say, what is this word, octoroon? Yeah, that's a moment in this song, though, especially today. I don't know what it would have felt like when this album came out. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I, I'll put a content warning on this just in case. But yeah. That, but that I, his mother points it out just so matter-of-fact. Yeah. Well, I do think it's like a word that's also especially associated with New Orleans. Uh, not in a, probably not for historically accurate reasons, is my guess. But right. um, you know, I have heard sort of octoroon balls as a kind of mythology of New Orleans thing. Huh. Um, but my guess is that it's been based on my own experience growing up in the South that it's a highly polished and not quite real thing that probably didn't happen at all but um i don't know if that's what he's alluding to and then it's even if it somehow feels even more horrifying that octoroon is rhymed with macaroon balloon picayune like it's just <laughs> one of like a series of whimsical rhymes you know yeah i i i i think he chose macaroon because a lot of this uh a lot is the the first song. This especially is his mother desperately trying to maintain their Jewish identity in the middle of New Orleans. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Any little cultural thing that can help him pushes it along. So he, he doesn't get a praline; he gets a macaroon. <laughs> and there's such, I mean, in the at least in Nashville, when we write songs, there's something that we call furniture. I don't know if that's something that people talk about outside of songwriting. Have you ever heard of that? No, tell me what that is. So when you're writing, you might say, this song needs some more furniture. And what you mean is it needs fewer kind of abstract feelings and stuff and more kind of objects that you can picture. Um, and he has such incredible, I mean, that sort of, second stanza there's like an ice cream wagon with the segregated sides and there's trash cans floating down canal street and there's rain i mean there's just excellent furniture in this song um like really detailed but um concise images that are that really evoke new orleans i mean he's such an expert at doing that so it's not a surprise but um it's very well done in this song Furniture. All right, I'm going to remember that. 
<laughs> Not that I'm ever going to write a song. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do, now you'll know how to talk to Lingo. I like to know what people are doing to <laughs> And then, you know, I, I talked about the, the punchline here that, that, that everyone celebrates that they'd finally won the war. They'd whipped the Yankees. <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm not here to talk about, you know, the Confederate flag or, or statues or any of that horrible stuff. Uh, but white Southerners put so much of their identity into, uh, I mean, so much of their pride in, into this identity that it would just naturally be this celebration that, I mean, that, if you're talking about the war, even in 1946, 47 here, uh, that, that that's what they're talking about. And yeah, it's it it even even in Oklahoma, it's a hard thing for me to explain to people what this weird white Southern culture is. Yeah, I mean, I sure hope schools in the South aren't like that anymore. But even when I was in school, um, you know, we learned kind of the lost cause myth. Yeah. In um, in history class, I was in high school before anybody t ever told me that the Civil War was about slavery. Um, it's really a a horrible thing that we we do to <laughs> people that are learning history in the South, and it just perpetuates all of this awful I'll, stuff. I'll send you a link. I I I did a thread a couple of years ago. I I went through the interlibrary loan and found my fourth grade. Alabama history text mm. and I, oh my gosh. I I photographed a bunch of snippets from that people like Ugh. you seriously learned this <laughs> I would bet that it's not that different from what I learned in Georgia um, yeah looking back it's really it's shocking um, that that's the way we learned history yeah. and then the, the last part of this this song also as someone who's left the south kind, kind of kind of uh, hit me that father insists that they move back to LA because mm -hmm. yeah this town's fun but nobody here ever came to no good yeah um, and you know I, I know some, some some brilliant people who have who, who have stayed in Alabama but there was always this 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 almost this expectation that I wasn't going to stay yeah um you know, he talks about that in, in, in others that there's this in, in other songs that, uh, that there's this, this this feeling of um, feeling of unworthiness this feeling of inadequacy just from being from the south yeah yeah I agree with that and I also hear I mean some in that verse um, He's, he quotes his dad as saying they're going to pickle him in brandy and tell him he's saved. I mean, I don't know if part of that was also a worry that, you know, it was going to be hard for them to be Jewish in New Orleans, which I'm guessing is, I think there is quite a large Jewish community there, but I'm sure it's not the easiest place to be Jewish. Um, Listen to the track before this. It's called Dixie Flyer. Okay. Uh, talks about when they, they moved to New Orleans and their relatives come down from Jackson and the relatives are doing everything they can to look like Gentiles. Mm -hmm. says, my grandmother, um, my, my gr 
grandmother followed my grandfather around when he was in the military training to be set to World War II. And on Sundays, she said she used to just, like, get dressed up and leave the house and just go sit somewhere else so that all the people in the apartments around where they lived would think that she was Christian and she was yeah. going to church. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you picked that. that that's, a, that's part of the lyric I, I hadn't picked that. Pickle you and Brandy. I think the wheel was pretty kind to you, Becky. Yeah, this is a good one. I'm glad that, you heard it. That sure could have gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the, the, the wheel is the star of the show, and the wheel knows what it's doing. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Becky, how can people get hold of you, uh, you know, on social media? And how, what, tell them how they can, can get your records. Yeah, my website is beckywarren.com. And on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, I'm this is Becky W. Um, and then you can just find me my music by going on any site where you might listen for music and uh, searching Becky Warren. Well, we're we're all wearing our masks here because we we want you to come back. Oh, I want to as well. And thank you for having me. I really I was telling some of my musician friends. It's like somebody asked me to be on a podcast, which happens sometimes, and it's usually just to sort of talk about being a musician or whatever. And so my friends kind of rolled their eyes, and I said, no, it's to talk about Randy Newman songs. And they were all very envious. So thank you for giving me this. I, I love talking about songs, and to talk about a songwriter as great as Randy Newman is a real privilege and honor. So thank you. Okay, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. for another week here at Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Thanks to Matt Fraley for our theme song. You can find Matt's music at moternmedia.com. That's M-O-T-E-R-N. Thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. Best way to reach Brian is on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. The background music we're listening to right now is Rock and Gravel by Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids, and I'm using it because it's public domain. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That's me. That's what I do during the day. I am a water and sewer engineer registered in Oklahoma and Texas. I'll register in your state if you ask nicely enough. Most of what I do is small town water and sewer engineering, but I specialize in hydraulic modeling. I build computer models for water systems, and that can help you plan your water systems more efficiently, and it can also help you with your homeowner's insurance. If you're a city official, you need a water model. Wade Engineering can be reached at 405-426-7634, and we would be happy to talk to you. We'll see you next week. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.